Welcome to Aviation United by Aviation Zero. I'm delighted to be chatting with Robert Gusek. Robert is an application developer at Inmar Inc. And today Robert will be chatting with me about his journey through prostate cancer. A very good afternoon to you, Robert. How are you today? Hello, I'm doing just fine. So what part of the world are you in? I live in High Point, North Carolina on the east coast of the United States. Very nice. And how's the weather today? We always have to ask how the weather because in Ireland yeah. the weather's not very good. So. Oh, well, it's very, very sunny. It's nice. A little bit of clouds, but it's extremely hot lately. Oh, dear. Okay. Is that good or bad? Uh, it can be bad. I'm, I'm originally from Chicago, so I like the cooler weather. All right. Okay. L like myself. Alrighty. So let's crack on, Robert. So as mentioned, welcome to the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, like I said, I was originally born in Chicago, and I lived up there until 1978. And after my father passed away, uh, our family decided to move down here to North Carolina because he used to take a lot of business trips down here. He was a uh, quality control manager for Hart Scheffner and Marks, and he always said he wanted to move down here when he retired. So we decided to go ahead and move down here. And I got started getting interested in computers and electronics. And I also was a Boy Scout. And once I finished high school, I ended up joining the Air Force and started training as a flight simulator technician. Oh, wow. Okay, so tell us more yep. about that. What, what's, what does that involve? Well, what it involves is the flight simulators are used by the Air Force to train their pilots in emergency procedures and also training them for missions. And what I did was I used to sit at the console and run the simulations for the pilots in the simulator cockpit. So I basically did all the pieces that they'd normally talk to you, like the tower and wingmen and other, other pilots and such. And then I'd control what happens to them in their environment as they're flying this uh, simulated A-10 around oh, wow. in the simulated world. And we'd also involved with uh, maintaining it, doing the daily maintenance to it to keep it running. And also we design simulations, uh, for example, attacks and emergency egress procedures and things like that for the pilots to go through while they're in the simulator building. So what's an emergency egress for anybody that doesn't know or doesn't understand what it is? Well, normally in a military aircraft, you've got the ejection seat where you pull the handles and it allows you to eject, shoots you out of the airplane. Right. In the very, very, very rare circumstances, it may malfunction. Oh, so you're stuck <laughs> inside this airplane, and the emergency egress on the A-10 consists of taking your survival knife, putting it all the way down with both hands between your legs, and just ramming it straight up into the canopy. Right. And the canopy is designed to shatter when you do that. And once you've opened the canopy, then you can get out of the airplane. And we actually got a extra canopy and mounted it on the simulator because they wanted to make sure that it worked the way they expected it to work. And we had a pilot go in there and actually destroy a canopy and shatter glass and polycarbonate everywhere. Wow. So that was kind of exciting. So what about when, the, when you look at the, the movie Top Gun with uh, Maverick and Goose? Um, unfortunately for Goose, he didn't survive. Is that, is that what they're trying to avoid? Is it a situation where uh, the yes. canopy doesn't shatter? Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, the thing is, 
there's all sorts of things that can happen in a plane because I mean it's it's a pretty complex piece of equipment and you know that you can get into all sorts of situations sometimes you may not be able to eject and you have to ride the plane in and you have to be able to get out quickly right and seeing as my nickname was goose I was okay. very <laughs> interested in making sure the pilots knew how to get out when right. they needed to Oh, and was there any speeds, Robert, was there in terms of when you could eject? I mean, was there a limitation on that or was any any speed specific? Not, not on the A-10. The A-10 is a subsonic aircraft, so yes. it can you can eject uh, just about anywhere and I believe up to 90 degrees from vertical. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so exciting it was, uh, roller coaster. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Flying the A-10 is a lot of fun. A lot of pilots, when they first got on assigned to the A-10, they were kind of like, oh, man, that's a slow, unfancy plane. It's ugly. <laughs> uh, first time they fly it, they're like, man, this thing is a blast to fly. And it really is. It's, it's basically a roller coaster when you fly it. So what was your favorite part then of being in the Air Force? Well, the thing I loved about it was working on the A-10 because the A-10 is just an incredible airplane. And then probably the second favorite part was being stationed in Alaska. I was stationed at Isleson Air Force Base in Alaska. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, that was definitely reminded me more of Chicago than North Carolina. Right. <laughs> and it was just amazing the difference, different things they have to do up there. Right. For example, they don't usually don't plow the road. They just pack down the snow because they get so much of it. The first day I got up there, they had a snowstorm overnight and we got four feet of snow in oh, wow. one night. And all they did was they just drove the uh, plows, just smoothed it out and then packed it down and spread gravel at the stoplights. Oh, wow. And that's okay. it. Yep. So you didn't, you didn't need your factor 50 in Alaska. No, it was too, it was too cold. for. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was definitely cold. Now the summer times, the two months of summertime was really, really nice because you had lots of sun and it was usually about 75 to 80 degrees, so it was really nice. And probably the best thing about it was, even though it was super, super cold, it, was, it would get down to 20 or 30 below zero, but there was no wind where I was at in central Alaska. So that, was real, that re made it really tolerable. Right. But and how long was, were you there for in general? Was it I was up, up in Alaska for a year. Right. And then before that, I was stationed at, in Illinois and Myrtle Beach for a year doing my training on the flight simulators. Well, obviously there's a big difference, as, as you know, between Myrtle Beach and Alaska. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big difference. <laughs> it's more pleasant than probably Myrtle. I don't mean that to be, Alaska is not pleasant, but in terms of the, the nice weather, it's, it's much better than Myrtle Beach. And well, it's, it's surprising how nice it is and how beautiful Alaska is. When I woke up in the mornings, I'd look out my barrack window and I'd see Mount McKinley. It was wow. about 50 miles away from my barracks. So it was just waking up to that every morning was really nice. Pretty clear and very fresh, I suppose, was it? Oh, yes, very much so. So, so tell us, Robert, I mean, pretty much the, the main focus of our podcast today is to enhance awareness of uh, prostate cancer. Everybody has different signs and symptoms of what they may, may experience um, for prostate cancer, but generally for your journey itself, I mean, what, did you have any symptoms before uh, being diagnosed with prostate cancer? I had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. I mean, absolutely nothing. Right. And the only reason 
that I went to the urologist was because I had a PSA test and it came back elevated three times and it kept going up. Right. So at that point, the doctor had asked me, he says, well, do you have anybody in your family that's had prostate cancer? And I had no idea because it's just not something I ever thought about or even thought about asking my mom. Because uh, my family uh, in the United States, it's only me, my brother, and my mom. Everyone else lives in Europe. Okay. So I didn't have a lot of exposure with, to them. So when he tested me and he asked me if I had our family had a history of prostate cancer, I had to check with my mom. And sure enough, I found out that it did run in the males of my family. We had quite a few that had prostate cancer. So can I ask you, Robert, then, what, what age were you when you were diagnosed? The reason I ask is because stereotypically people think it's just for older men. I mean, in their, maybe their late 70s or, or 80s that get prostate cancer. Um, what, how old were you when you actually, when, when you had it? I was 49 when I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so and, a very young man. Yeah, while it is true that uh, uh, the majority of the prostate cancer gets found when you're older, uh, my doctor told me a lot of times it's like me. They don't realize they have it. Right. And it doesn't really affect them at all. Uh, but it does. He says it's not unusual. He says he's seen as young as 25, a 25-year-old man have prostate cancer. Wow. So, so I mean, there's, no, there's, no, there's no age limit. There's no age limit or age requirement for prostate cancer. So you mentioned about the PSA test. What is the PSA test itself? The PSA is called the prostate-specific antigen. And basically what it is is when you have prostate cancer, uh, your body tries to fight it, and these antigens increase in your bloodstream. So they do a blood test, and they look for this antigen in your blood. And if it keeps going up or if it gets above a certain level, uh, that indicates there's a possibility you might have prostate cancer. It's right. not a guarantee, but it's a good indicator, and it means you need to think about uh, other things to look at. Right. And what, 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 would, what might they be, those other symptoms or other, or other things? Uh, the normal symptoms if you have prostate cancer is you have trouble starting and going, urinating. Uh, you may have pain when you urinate. Um, rarely you may have blood in your urine. Um, and you may have trouble emptying your bladder too. Right. Because basically, uh, it's very similar to an enlarged prostate where okay. it swells up and you have trouble with your bladder and emptying and, and actually starting and stopping your stream when you right. go to the bathroom. And is there anything, Robert, in terms of, um, I mean, as men that we can do to kind of uh, help the prostate that you're aware of? Well, from what I've heard, it, it can be affected by what you eat, your diet. Right. So, of course, eating healthy is an important thing, which I started doing after I found out I had prostate cancer. Uh, I got rid of a lot of pre-processed foods and started eating more fresh foods. Okay. And there's also some supplements that have, people have said will help pr prevent the possibility of getting prostate cancer. But the one thing is prostate cancer can be genetic too. So it, while it's a good idea to eat healthy and do all you can and do the proper exercises, like the Kegel exercises, uh, 
And I did do Kegel exercises quite a bit simply because I had problems with my knees from the Air Force. I got injured when I was in the Air Force. So I was doing a pretty good exercise routine. And I think that may be part of the reason why I didn't have any symptoms, typical right. symptoms of prostate cancer. And does Kegel exercise, that strengthen the area, does it? Yeah. Yes, it does. It helps with your urinary uh, continence. And that really, really helps you before and after the treatment you get, depending on what treatments you get. So what about, the, how did you feel then when you found out that you had prostate cancer? I mean, is, is, it a, is, is it kind of like, you know, you have prostate cancer and let's deal with it? Or is it a buildup? You have to get more tests? Well, what happened to me was I found out that I had the elevated PSA and then the doctor said, well, yours is not super high, so you can just wait and see if it keeps getting higher. Or, and he asked me about my history at this point, he said, check your history of your family, and, or you can go ahead and get a biopsy done where they actually take samples of the prostate and test it for cancer. Right. And once I found out that it's pretty prevalent in my family, I decided to go ahead and get the biopsy done. And the doctor, when the biopsy came back, it came back that one of the samples, and I took 24 samples, one of them had cancer and it was very small amount. Sure. And they were estimating it was like 1% of my prostate had cancer in it. Uh, and it was kind of, it was, it was very much a shock. I never expected in my lifetime to have cancer. So it was kind of a shock and it took a little bit for it to, to settle in. But then after I said, okay, well, what can I do about this? Cause I got it. There's nothing I can do to change that. So what's my best options. And I talked with the doctor about it and uh, he says, because it didn't show that I had a whole lot of prostate cancer, he says, I could actually wait and just get tested every year. And again, just wait and monitor to see if it gets worse, right. especially since I didn't have symptoms. And then what about the biopsy you mentioned there? I mean, is it a pen? The, the, the reason I ask these questions is because the listeners are probably wondering, because you know yourself as, as men, sometimes we, we try to avoid uh, getting these tests done but the, but the yeah. test itself what was it was it quite routine straightforward were you knocked out under the anesthetic well, it, it was inpatient uh so i did it in the office uh they did uh give me anesthetic and it involved going into my rectum with a probe uh which wasn't too comfortable it wasn't too bad and then what th that probe did was it actually used a needle to get samples of my prostate right and it wasn't too bad. Uh, I did have to stay home that day and the next day. And there was some bleeding afterwards, but it was, wasn't anything major. It's nothing to be scared of, I would say. I mean, actually donating blood, I think, is more painful than getting the pr prostate biopsy. Right. So it's, obviously, it's obviously well worth getting it done anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So then what about yeah. through, through the whole process? I mean, did you have good support around you? Well, what happened was at first, for probably the first month, uh, the only people I told was my mom and my brother, and I really didn't feel comfortable telling other people about it because I felt like, well, this is something bad right. that I shouldn't, shouldn't be telling anybody. But then someone recommended I go to a website called mylifeline.org, right. 
And they've got a whole ton of resources for any kind of cancer, including prostate cancer. And they also provide us a free service where you can create a web page where you can post updates and let people know about how your journey is going with cancer. So I ended up signing up for that. And when I started telling other people that I had prostate cancer, everyone was very supportive, especially at my work. And I would give people the website and say, if you want to know what happens to me, I'll keep updating here. And that took a big load off of trying to make sure I tell everybody everything that's going on. I could just post it on the site and people could get emails alerting them that I've posted or they could just go and check it. And it made it much easier to share what was happening with me, with all my friends and family and coworkers. And was it very therapeutic, Robert, was it? Did you feel because you were telling your, your story that it was actually kind of helping you? Oh, okay, this is, you know, I can deal with this a little bit better. Yes, absolutely. Once I started telling people and people didn't react the way I was picturing them, I expected people to like be really shocked and everything, but everybody was real supportive and it really took a lot of the pressure off me and made it feel like this is something that I can work through and deal with. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very brave of you because I think, you know, the more people that do this, the better. At least, then it enhances yeah. awareness then to prostate cancer, but all cancers, as you mentioned. But it's, it's mylifeline.org, is that correct? Yes, mylifeline.org. Excellent. And is that is like you have to register for that or you sign up? Yeah, you sign up and then you get your own website and you can post photographs. You can post, it's got a blog. And not only that, you can also, people can sign up to find out if you need help with things like getting groceries or help going to a doctor's appointment. So that is another part of it. That's really helpful. Helping you organize your caregivers that want to help out. That's brilliant. So Absolutely. it's a it's really a wonderful idea. site. Yeah. yeah brilliant. So, so Robert, what about then? I mean, this is the part that most people don't want to hear about, but what was the treatment like and how did you cope? Or what well, treatment did you get? Did you get chemotherapy? Did you get radiotherapy or was it a mix? I got a mix. Uh, what I ended up doing was after talking with the doctor and about my options, I had decided to go ahead and get the prostatectomy to remove my prostate. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and simply because so many men in my family had had it, uh, and one of them had actually died from it. So I decided that I did want to be fairly aggressive and get it removed. Uh, so I got scheduled for the surgery and I went in surgery went quite well. Uh, but it was kind of shocking what they found when I had the prostatectomy, uh, when they removed my prostate, they found that it wasn't like one or 2%. It was over 60% of my prostate had cancer in it. Oh, wow. And had it, had it spread? Yes. It had, al- it had already started to spread to my bladder. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was kind of shocking. I was not expecting that. I was expecting to get it removed and then that would be it. But it had started to spread to my bladder. So I had another decision to make. And the doctor said, well, we can continue to monitor you and see if it it starts growing on your bladder. uh, Or I can choose to have radiation therapy. And with the new radiation treatments they have, it can be very selective. And they can uh, 
apply the radiation to that part of the bladder and where the prostate was to help kill off any remaining prostate cancer cells. Right. So I went ahead and did that. And that was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like four months of radiation treatment. And it was going in Monday through Friday every morning uh, for about an hour of radiation treatment. And then on the weekends, I got a break. And after five months, I finally stopped it. And I didn't realize how much it was really affecting me. My energy level had been way down. And after I stopped, I just felt so much more vigorous. And I, you just don't realize it when you're going through it, that it affects you like that. But I went through that and then they, he continued to test me at first for every three months. And I never had any more PSA positive tests. So that was really good. Um, and last year he had switched to give me a PSA test once a year. And I thought, well, that's good. And then he says, if, if it, doesn't show up on the next one. We can go to like every five years. So I was feeling pretty good about that. But then about three months ago, I started seeing blood in my urine. So okay. went, went back into my urologist and uh, he did a cytoscope where they put a probe up your urethra to inspect your bladder. And that was nothing. I, did, I mean, that was not painful at all. But he did find that I had some gross inside my bladder, uh, and that was where the bleeding was coming from. Right. So about a month ago, I had surgery to remove those gross, and also he noticed that there was irritation in the bladder too, and the gross fortunately turned out to be not malignant. Uh, oh God. Yep. Yep. But what what had happened was there's something that called radiation cytosis, which can happen up to five to 10 years after you stop your radiation therapy, where it damages your bladder and causes these kind of gross and bleeding. And that's what he says has happened to me. Now, going forward, I just need to make sure that I don't have blood in my urine. And if it starts getting real heavy, that I go back to see him. And I'm probably going to have to have more um, more of these gross because basically what it is it's part of the bladder dying off right uh, but I'm going to have to just watch that and make sure that it it doesn't get worse because what it can do is it can actually block the bladder and prevent the bladder from emptying which could be really it could be lethal sure so I just have to watch out for that and uh, so far it's gone really good the recovery was Recovery was interesting. The the pain from that removing the blat the gross from the bladder, uh, for some reason it really affected I mean, I was totally wiped out and sore over my whole body. But after about three days I got back to normal. So can I ask then with regards if you just go back a little bit with regards to the radiotherapy, you mentioned now that the radiotherapy can be quite selective. They can kind of put it in certain areas is are you aware of any um i had heard previously that they have some sort of is it like a bead or a gel which can help protect the area is that yeah they 
what they do is, in my case, if you're going to get, I've got, I had uh, what's called IRT, which is selective beam radiation therapy. And basically it's a very narrow beam and they move it around your body so that the rest of your body doesn't get as much, but it's all focused around the one spot where they want to provide the radiation to kill this cancer. And that's what they did with me. And what they do is they give you a CAT scan first and they actually tattoo you to line up the uh, radiation beam when you get your treatments. So I have a couple of dots on my abdomen where they lined up the radiation. Right. Uh, so, so the technology is getting better or the treatments are. Oh, yes. And there's other treatments too you can do. Um, in my case, it was because it had spread to the bladder. They decided to do the the beam therapy, but you can also get uh, where they inject a, a small pellet inside your body that's got that's radioactive that will uh, kill the cells around it, but then eventually it'll just die off. The radiation dies off, and then it gets passed out of your body. Right. And, and then, of course, they have chemotherapy, but for prostate cancer, I don't think that's a very common treatment for prostate cancer. Because right. it is such a localized area, and it usually does respond very well to the radiation. You know, how, how are you now in generally? Um, are you a lot happier than where you were previously to when you were diagnosed with prostate cancer, or is it, a, is it a continuous journey? Well, I have to say I'm very happy because I know that I don't have prostate cancer right now, that it hasn't spread to other parts of my body, which is a possibility. Um, but I have to say finding out you have cancer, any kind of cancer is definitely, basically you have a life before cancer and a life after cancer because yeah. after you have cancer, it changes so much in your life, especially when you have anything else done. I had some other surgeries for my knee and my back, and I always had to tell them that I've had radiation therapy, even though it was like five years ago now. And like when I go to donate blood, I have to tell them that I had cancer and that I had radiation therapy. And then there's another set of questions I have to go through. Um, and whenever I go to the doctor, I always have to remember that I have to tell them that I've had cancer uh, and the radiation therapy because it's something to consider that it might have spread to other places. So it could affect your entire body no matter what um, – what you're going through. So it's something you just have to be really aware of. And my doctor was very good about explaining that to me about why I had to do that and what I needed to tell uh, the medical practitioners whenever I went in for any kind of treatment or examination. So Robert, tell, tell me, what, I mean, what advice can you give men pretty much of, of all ages to be aware and to get themselves checked out for prostate cancer? What, what could you tell them and, and be as blunt as possible? <laughs> well, the one thing I would say is if you have any kind of symptoms involving your ur urinary uh, situation, get it checked out as soon as you can, because the sooner you catch it, the better off you're going to be. Uh, the other thing I would suggest is go ahead and do some research and see if anybody in your family has had prostate cancer or any other kind of cancer, just so that you know things you may need to check out for or may need to watch for. For example, if your family has a history of prostate cancer, you know you need to watch out for any of the typical symptoms 
of prostate problems because that's that's kind of hand in hand the symptoms is for an enlarged prostate and for prostate cancer. Right. And then also the one thing I've heard a lot of things in the news about the PSA test is not good and you shouldn't take get it done and other people say you should. But the thing I think everyone should remember is that the PA, PSA test is just one tool uh, in what the doctor has available to them. And for me, it just happened to show up because it was a normal test they gave me every five years. And when it got elevated, they checked it again. And then we had to decide how we wanted to proceed based on other things like my history, if I had other symptoms. So even though it, the PSA test is quite controversial, I think it's totally worth it to get it done because uh, at least it'll give you it'll give you something to check out if you see a if there's a possible problem. It may not be a problem or it may be a problem, but I'd rather know and check it out rather than just be ignorant about it and not know what's going on. Yeah, that's great advice. I think um I mean my my father at the moment he's going through prostate cancer and that's why this podcast is is, is it's of high interest to me and I'm in my early forties and after listening to you as well, I'd be getting myself checked out. So anybody out there um, listening to this podcast today, you know, as, as Robert mentioned, you know, please, you know, get yourself checked out. PSA tests are pretty simple and uh, you know, try and prevent this as, as much as possible. And be aware of what's the history of your family is, whether it's prostate cancer or any other kind of cancer, just so you're aware of things to look out for. Because the earlier you catch the cancer, the better off you are. And in hindsight, even though I went through the PSA test and it was showing really low, and even the biopsy showed it was a very small amount, when they ended up pulling out my prostate, they found that I had so much of it was already uh, taken over by cancer. So you just don't know. And I think it's better to err on the safe side. And there are some side effects. Um, like I still have some incontinence probably because it's spread to my bladder, but that's minor. I don't have to worry about the cancer spreading or uh, dying from it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a minor inconvenience, but it's something I can definitely live with. Well, you're a very brave man, Robert. I mean, you've thanks very much for coming on the show today to uh, chat chat to me about this. Um, and I think uh, a lot of listeners will be uh, encouraged by what you have to say. Um, is is it possible for listeners to get in touch with you? I mean, do you have are you on social media, or is it true? MyLifeline.org is probably the best place to go because you can see all the things I went through because I documented everything, and you can send me messages on there. So that's probably the best place to get a hold of me. That's perfect. So if anybody has any questions for Robert, uh, for his continuing journey, um, he'd be, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to uh, answer your, your messages and your email. Well, I'd like to thank you, Robert, very much uh, for speaking with me today. Um, as mentioned already, uh, very brave of you uh, for chatting with us today and uh, wish you all the very best for the, uh, well, the future. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be able to uh, spread some knowledge about this uh, silent killer that people just don't realize is out there for the most part. And I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you.